Welcome to the Gospel Ministry of Exchange Church. Thank you for connecting with us for our Bible talk today, and please feel free to share these talks with others as well. It's our desire to connect people to Jesus and grow people in Jesus. To find out more about us, please visit our website, www.exchangechurch.org.au. I'm just going to read the passage or a bit before the, the verses we're going to look at, and it's from 1 John chapter 5. And I'll be reading from verse 13, so um, follow along with me. This is the conclusion to John's letter. I write these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, that you may know that you have eternal life. And this is the confidence that we have toward Him, that if we ask anything according to His will, He hears us. And if we know that He hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the request that we have asked of Him. If anyone sees his brother committing a sin not leading to death, he shall ask and God will give him life to those who commit sins that do not lead to death. There is a sin that leads to death. I do not say that one should pray for that. All wrongdoing is sin, but there is a sin that does not lead to death. We know that everyone who has been born of God does not keep on sinning. But he who was born of God protects him and the evil one does not touch him. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. And we know that the Son of God has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true in his Son, Jesus Christ. He is the true God and eternal life. Little children... Keep yourselves from idols. Well, today we're going to look at the very, those very last four verses of the conclusion of the letter of 1 John. And John is repeating, actually, three important points that he's covered throughout his letter. His purpose of writing, he tells us at the very beginning and at the very end, is for the sake of true fellowship with the Father and the Son, and that you may know that you have eternal life. Why do we need this confidence, this certainty? Well, it's simple. Often our faith is very weak or weakened through our desires and our self-centred loves of the world. Let's pray. Lord, uh, give us ears to hear and help our minds to be tuned to what you would have us think and say and do uh, now and in the coming days. And work in our hearts this day that each one of us may say, Lord, you are so real and so present with me, so good and such an amazing God. So help me worship you and honour your name in my life and all my actions. Lord, I'm just not praying this for myself, but I'm praying it for others around me. uh, That we may be one with you and you in us. Amen. Well, I want to ask two questions this morning. These two questions are, do you know the true God? And what is so good about being saved? Now, the first question, do you know the true God, is a question for those who believe they are Christians. We may ask ourselves or we may ask someone else that. uh, Do you know the true God? If you're a Christian, uh, it's an important question, I think. Um, You may have heard in the last week or so Uh, The Australian Bureau of Statistics released uh, a a statement 
and they said that while Christianity is the most common religion in Australia for those proclaiming and identifying themselves as Christians, the numbers are actually declining. In 2011, the census there was 61% of Australians said they're Christian. This is a voluntary question, remember. In 2016, it dropped down to 52%, and in the last census last year, it dropped down to just under 44%. At the same time, those who are saying, oh, we're of no religion, uh, they started from 22% back in 2011, 2016, they were 30%, and in 2021, they're nearly 40%. So what's happening there is a Christian numbers who have proclaimed they're Christians are going down and the people who are saying they have no religion is going up. At the same time, other religions like Hinduism has grown 55% since the last census and they're now about 2.7% uh, of the population. That's the Indians and others who profess to be of a Hindu religion. And, other, and Islam is also increased, around 3.2% of the population. So do you know the true God? That's the question. And the second question, what's so good about being saved? Now, that's a question that maybe if you're a non-Christian here today, maybe you've already asked that, or maybe you're being asked that, or maybe you're asking that. It's a question, it's a good question, because Christianity is mutually exclusive. In other words, you can't take a little bit of Islam or a little bit of Hinduism or Buddhism and mix it with Christianity. You're either a Christian or you're not. And so... Um, why is Christ the right path to follow in this life? And how can a person know that they are right uh, to follow that path in this life? And it also has benefits in the life to come. In 1 John 5, 18 to 21, we have three Christian affirmations. Three Christian affirmations. They're all starting off with, we know. We know this, we know this, we know this. We know in our minds that we must we are transformed in the renewing of our minds by the truth by the new birth we know our hearts are melted and identified we're identified as his children with this new life and we know our behavior is changed and must change to fit the world to come and then the last verse seems a little bit disjointed but it actually isn't keep yourself from idols what are your idols your idols are always promising everything but never delivering. You know them. <laughs> what causes us to see idols? Not just as good but as the ultimate good. And of course, what I want to say this morning, that there's an unholy trinity. Well, we, we like three points in a sermon. There's also three forces, three influences that are all the time distracting us away from God and knowing the truth about God. What are they? the world, the flesh and the devil. Paul talks about it in Ephesians 2. And John is urging us to live out the tr truth and speak the truth, despite those influences, the influences, the enemies of godliness and holiness. Uh, I liked Jim's illustration last week. Uh, you might remember it. As a believer, we need to be constantly growing, more familiar with the truth as revealed as we get to know the truth, therefore we can spot what is false. As you seek to know what is clearly genuine, then you know how to identify what is not genuine, what is not the truth. That's really good, that's really good. But how can you know what is false if you don't accept Christianity? 
if you're not sure of anything if someone says oh believe this now and you're not a christian how do you know that they're not right (laughs) so you, you see we need both we need to know god and know the truth and we also need to know what destroys or works against the confidence that suppresses the truth and so let's look at this first affirmation it's about knowing in your mind uh, that you have changed verse 20 we know i'm working backwards and, and in a way a lot of commentators recognize this we start um, john's put it in this way but i'm going to go from verse 20 we know also that the son of god has come and given us understanding so that we may know him who is true and we are in him who is true even in his son jesus christ he is the true god and eternal life now i shall come to talk about what it means to be in him in christ in jesus but first john states in verse 20 we know jesus has come and given us understanding we are given knowledge of god isn't that great isn't that wonderful uh, you could say this is simply information um, and again all the time there's a culture the world out there the general understanding is you don't need to know about that stuff you don't need to go it's working against the truth there's a spiritual war going on and it distorts and it hides the reality of god and his workings in the world that's why john writes that god gives us understanding and that's where we start the bible christians know the bible is god's inspired word god breathed it out even though other human beings wrote it 40 different people over 1600 years and so on but the point is god gives us the understanding he finds us you know the shepherd if you're a lost sheep the shepherd goes out because you don't know the way home the shepherd goes out and finds a lost sheep and brings it home and whether we recognize it or not god actually reveals himself to us and particularly through his word through the bible and so we come with some knowledge of the true god in your mind as we listen to people as we read the bible perhaps you come to judge what is true and believe and and you read it but then also you agree with it in your mind you become aware and you come to personally know god know jesus now there's a there's a change and it's not just about information but it's a personal knowledge let me try to illustrate that here's what i mean if i come to you and say look um there's this incredible young violinist only 13 year old she is and she can play all the great tunes and she she is just fantastic she can play them perfectly and it's so beautiful to watch her play and uh she she just picks up the tune within an hour and plays it by ear and uh not only does she play but she can dance she jives and she's she's dancing away and it's just incredible a 13 year old girl and you might say oh wow that's great um that sounds very good very interesting that's very good information for me uh but in your mind you might not quite accept it you might be a bit skeptical about a 13 year old girl within an hour picking up a tune one of the one of of the great tunes we love to hear and can play it perfectly 
by ear. And if you're a violinist, you might be very interested to know this person. <laughs> and, and she says, sounds so good, it's, it's hard to believe that it could be true. But then, then you see her, you observe her, and you listen to her and watch her. And you're simply amazed, you're moved to joy, the, the tears and the love. She's so good. She's so good, she's so full of joy and playing all these great songs just exactly as you've been told. But now you've realised that it's true. Has any more information come to you? No, no. But what you've done is you've accepted in your mind the truth and it's changed your thinking. And you've, Because you've never seen anyone like her, but it's true. Um, it actually is true. There is a young 13-year-old girl. Her name is um, Caroline Prosenko and you can watch her on YouTube. But you see, in the language of John, you are changed in your mind and you know Jesus personally. You are born of God, as, as he goes on to say. And this is where things start. You, you get the information, you get the knowledge about God, you must know something about God, but then you're changed to know him personally. And of course, a good place to start is start reading the Bible, come to church, uh, hang out with Christians, all good places to start. But getting the information, just hearing the gospel will not move you. You then need to find yourself in him and be one with him and accept him for who he says he is and what he's done. Um, and how does that come to us? Well, like I said, normally he reveals himself through his word. The question is, do you hear him? Christians, do you hear him? Is he speaking to you today? Are you listening to him? Otherwise, it's just a very impersonal bit of information, knowledge. You can agree, but you're not moved by it. You may be asking, how can I see more of God? How can I get closer to him? We must keep working at it. We must keep reading the Bible all the time. The world's trying to conform us to the standards of the world. But we need to keep being transformed by the renewing of your mind, as Paul writes in Romans 12. And so we learn from God who he is and what he's done, his plans to redeem us. But we also understand we live in a world that's opposed to God, that rejects the knowledge of God, that, that there are many spiritually blind people and um, we need to see that whole picture. The community we live in tends to determine what people think. The Bible's view is that our nature is both body and spirit, a unity, a flesh and a spirit, but that was broken in a sense when sin came into the world, as the Bible describes. But the world is just focused on our body, is it not? Um, to maintain life. The Word of God helps us know that we're spiritually dead before we come to know God. And... Um, the world calls us to make ourselves God or make other things God. And it, and it says if God exists, well, he's not ang angry with us. And yet the Bible says that God's wrath is poured out against um, unholiness and, and, um, and people that suppress the truth. And so what God teaches us from his word, that the word became flesh. God came amongst us. And he became one who was born into the world and yet he was without sin in order to rescue us who have sin. 
and through his work of salvation to receive eternal life so that we can know him. But the question is what makes the Bible so believable and so um, so plausible to believe? You see, we we grew up in a um, in a culture that um, doesn't want to believe God, and and therefore uh, it's it's a struggle sometimes. But we need to read the Bible for ourselves. We need to examine the evidence and um, uh, it's plausible to really believe that God created the world rather than somehow it just all instantly appeared over millions of years and created such complex creatures as us. So that's the the challenge. Of course, um, uh, we may grow up in a Christian home and and in the Western world, what is what is our plausibility structure? Um, uh, well, often we relate to where we've grown up, uh, what our parents did, um, what what we do in our lives, what is our goals, what are our dreams, um, and the world continues to say, well, that's 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 uh, you have the freedom to believe what you like, or you may grow up in a very traditional culture, in a, a more Eastern culture where um, you must hold to the traditions of the family or you'll be cut off uh, and follow the family in their beliefs, whether they be Hindu or Islam. And um, uh, it's a bit like what's going on in Ukraine or in Russia, sorry. Uh, the Russian state has, has a great control over the Russian media and the media is so controlled that majority of Russians believe that it's a good thing that... Um, that they're trying to help those poor Ukrainian people. Those poor Ukrainian people are, uh, need to be rescued from the Nazi influences and the Western influences um, and therefore we can go and bomb their hospitals or, and kill their kids and so on. But many who know the mind of the regime in Russia have fled or if they remain, they cannot speak, otherwise they get jailed. But for most Russians, it seems plausible it seems believable that the Russian authorities who have generally brought good things to them as people are still doing good things. And so we need to see the bigger picture. And listening to God means you not only need to see the truth the way the world is now, but also to allow your mind to see and know Jesus. Draw near to God, James tells us, and he'll draw near to you. Now we come to the second affirmation, which is verse 19. We know that we are from God and the whole world lies in the power of the evil one. Almost seems like I'm just covering uh, the ground again. No, this second matter is a matter of our heart knowledge. It's a matter of our identity. We are from God. We are God's children. Christians know to whom they belong. Unlike others... We belong to God. Others don't belong to God. The rest of the world, humanity, they do not belong to God. They're not from God. But there's a certainty that we have. We belong to God. We know where we belong. It's a statement of certainty. Where is our heart's greatest affection? It is for Jesus. There is no one like him. We've just sang it. Uh, And 
that's where our greatest affection is. And it's, this is certainly is about knowing your heart, knowing your family, your father, your heavenly father, God, and your brother, Jesus, and the Holy Spirit who works in us. That is the Christian certainty. Others have many other loves, um, many other gods, essentially. Uh, so they remain under the sway or the power, control of the evil one, that is the devil. And, there is, and, and so the influence of the world, the flesh and the devil is there. But we know, we're not swayed by that. We know as Christians to whom we belong. I'm not saying that the rest are evil. That's not the, it's not saying that. People who aren't children of God aren't necessarily evil. But they're under control of the evil one. They're under that sway. There's a very big difference. Christians have changed their identity. You think about your identity, I'll just describe, in a sense, we, we often relate to where we've grown, where we've grown up and what, it, what we do with our time and what really interests us. But when we talk about our hearts, what, what do we mean? Your heart is the will or the source of creativity. It's your greatest love. Um, you know the old saying, you can lead a horse to water, you can't make it drink. Well, a horse is happy to be led to this far but it's against his will to drink that water. You see, that's the old saying. Um, but to love God, Jesus spoke about this in, in Matthew and Mark, uh, to love God with all your heart. What does that mean? It means to have your will set on him for, his, for the best good, to, to show him and to glorify him. We often, <clears throat> or we, there is a old hymn, you know, I surrender all. Uh, what do you surrender? Your money, your time, your talents, everything. I surrender all to him. And there's not anything I can put over and above honouring God and loving God. But as I said, your identity in the past may be tied to where you live, where you grew up. But now as Christians, that, that's all changed. We know we're from God. And our identity is not tied with our race or our culture or our family or job, all those good things, or our performance or our achievements, uh, or what uh, theologians call the deep idols. You know, we often have these uh, things that we want a better car or we want a better house, but deep down we want to show that we have it all together. We have our comfort, we have our approval, we have our power, we have our money. These are the ultimate aim within us i love my family but i cannot get complete approval from my family and that is what i want that's a, a deep idol and idols are always promising only what jesus can give you so we need to understand what are our idols and we think about the problems in our society uh, prostitution, uh, pornography and domestic violence. All these things come out of people having these idols. Um, but what only can Jesus give must be experienced in your heart's affections to replace your idols. And how does that happen? Well, let me illustrate again. Julie and I know, know this lady um, from our time back in South Australia and uh, she was she wanted to come along and she did come along to our church and she wanted to fit in. 
Uh, that, don't you think that's a very good thing? <laughs> very good thing for someone to come along to a church and want to fit in. That's, of course that's good. But um, she, she had a very troubled past, a troubled time growing up. She was, in fact, a very miracle baby. Uh, she was very disfigured and distorted in her body and it was a miracle for her to survive. And her family loved her and um, cared for her, but it was never enough. Looking back, I realised all this um, as, as we went on. So she wanted a church who respected her, who loved her, who gave her the attention. Uh, she didn't want to change. That, that she, she wanted to be who she was, but um, she wanted just for people to accept her and to give her the acceptance she felt she needed. She took a very good thing, which is fellowship in the church and, and respect and love, and she tried to make it an ultimate thing. And that is, she thought the church should giving something more than what Jesus could give her. That was her deep idol, her, her pseudo-God. And in seeking to make the, that affection and people to respond back to her, uh, what happened was that it, it destroyed relationships. It actually broke down things. It, it, as people saw what she, what she was trying to do, a good thing turned to an ultimate thing. That's what it does. It actually is destructive because it cannot be a god. Um, and uh, she goes on, I'm not sure where she's going now, she sort of spun out of church and she, she didn't go anywhere for, for her time, I think she's got her friends, um, but some years later she did text me and said uh, she's apologised very much for all the grief that she caused to, to myself and the church. Idolatry is always a matter of the heart, the affections of the heart. And people can say, I believe in God. I believe in Jesus. I believe he loves me. But functionally, the affections of their heart are elsewhere. The affections are set on people's approval or money security or something else in life. Um, and ultimately, dealing with idols, the things where our affections are set on, um, is... is Dealing with it needs another greater affection to expel, expel that idol. And that's what you have to do. You actually have to have a sense of Jesus' love is greater than anything else. He's greater than anything else. His love and grace is far greater than you've ever had before. You need that expulsive power of Christ's love. And um, it's one thing to know that Jesus loves you in your mind. It's another thing in your heart, in, in your deepest sense of what's, what's best for me, to have that love. And so it's a learned experience. Um, you must learn to say to your idols, you are not my life. You are not my security. You do not justify my existence or give my life meaning. It's Jesus that gives my life meaning. This is really what Paul states in Colossians, see to it that no one takes you captive to philosophy and empty deceit according to human tradition, according to the elementary spirits of the world and not according to Christ. Only Christ can expel those idols and give you that sense of peace and joy and security that you desire. And you have to learn to preach the gospel to your own heart 
That's really what it is. The mind needs the knowledge of Christ. Let me recap. The mind needs the knowledge of Christ that becomes personal. And the heart inside, you need the knowledge that you're one with him. You're part of his family. And, and there's nothing better, nothing greater than him. And then we come to the third affirmation. But before we do, let me ask you, who do you really love, respect and admire? Perhaps it's your boss at work <laughs> or perhaps it's your grandparents or, or your parents or perhaps you really admire someone that you've known for a long time. And do you just love them with your mind? Uh, you know that there's some things that perhaps you'd say, oh, they could improve on those things. But do you, you really love them, you really respect them, but do you just love them in this way, only with that in mind? You know, you, 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 you could say, oh, yes, I, I find it hard to love them because I just don't like people who are late. You know, this guy, he turns up late to work. He, he's late home. He's always late. Um, get out of bed late and go to bed late. And you might know someone like that. But um, you love them just despite all their, their problems. You know, husbands love their wives. Wives love their husbands and so on. We cannot, well, the point is we cannot divide off parts of us. Uh, you say, I'm a Christian and I understand the gospel, I believe in Jesus, but you can't be a Sunday-only Christian. It's your whole life. You can't be a student in your mind only. It's your mind and your heart and your soul and your body. As Jesus said, you know, someone asked him, what's the greatest commandment? We've got all these commands, but what's your greatest commandment? And Jesus said, well, you know, and, and he recited what's called the Shema prayer. The prayer that starts off with listen. Um, <clears throat> listen. Uh, Jesus said, Hear, O Israel, the Lord, the Lord God is one, and you shall love the Lord God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind, and with all your strength. But they all go together, you see. There are parts, heart, soul, mind, and body, but they all go together. And so we come to this third affirmation, verse 18. We know that God's children do not make a practice of sinning, for God's Son holds them securely and the evil one cannot touch them. I'm reading a little bit different version from the ESV. It's the NLT, because uh, I think it's a little bit more uh, precise. But what does this verse mean? There are two things. One is it's about us and the other is about Jesus. A true Christian, a person who is... Um, a Christian is, has been radically changed. A person who seeks to follow Jesus will be changed and go on being changed. It's radical because our natural tendency is to go on sinning. And that's the affirmation. As we see and as we look at ourselves and we look back at our past, we're changed. We've, 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 we've become different people in a sense. We're kinder, we're gentler, we're, we're more loving, we're listening more and we care about others and we don't just write them off. And as we look at ourselves and observe others, we're continually being changed and reforming our lives. We're not just reformed people that might sound like some static knowledge and doctrine. No, we're being reformed and we're allowing ourselves to go on being reformed uh, we don't need brand names interesting trend today that many churches aren't referring themselves as 
um, in the old way they used to refer to them. They would say, oh, we're Shepherd and Anglicans or we're Shepherd and Baptists or we're Shepherd and Pentecostals or even we're Reformed Pentecostals, some people said recently. But exchange we can say, we're simply following Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith. We're simply Bible-believing, totally committed, loving God with all our heart, mind and strength. That's us, friends. And we know God gives us his approval and removes the penalty and calls us to know him by the exchange that Jesus made for us. That that's all the difference we need to explain to people. We are different because of what Jesus has done for us. Radically different. And for other churches, yes, we love them. We pray for them. We pray for them that they would simply follow Jesus too. Now, I need to explain this term, born of God. It's a nice, neat term, isn't it? And many people get hung up on uh, this term Uh, whether they're Christian or or not, it's the same as saying we're we're born again. And for many here, the term they think born again people, there's something different about them. They're deep, intentional, emotional people. Uh, Perhaps they've got difficulties in life and they need this born again stuff. Uh, Socially, economic, struggling people or uneducated people that need the structure and discipline of a church. Well, let me tell you how you answer those people who say these things. Uh, those misconceptions it's not a minor matter it's in john's gospel yes it's in the gospels uh it's jesus has spoke about it peter spoke about it paul spoke about it luke refers to it in various ways through the gospel and acts as people get changed and converted born again it's not a minor matter and it's a necessity for all people it's not just for certain socio-economic people Jesus spoke to a very educated and very learned man named Nicodemus. You must, Jesus said, be born again. If you're really a Christian, you are born again. It doesn't relate to social status or life experiences. It relate to God coming and opening a person's mind and heart to see God and to understand his way of salvation. And Jesus... Uh, through Jesus' grace and uh, that is available to anyone willing to come to him. So here in verse 18, it speaks of this process of being made holy or being made more saintly or sanctification is the big word that theologians use. It's just a process of being more and more like Jesus. Uh, We sin in our thought, in our words, in our actions, Uh, through our bodies and practices and John is saying yes the aim is for purity in our lives we are not perfect but we're in the process of being changed Paul talks about it too we're changing from one degree of glory to the other and future glorification perfection impacts now what we're doing in our bodies in our lives so I spell that out If you have been thinking evil thoughts or doing wrong or if you've been speaking slander or swearing or hurtful words, not healing words or using, abusing your body, you must stop and you must change. It shouldn't be the pattern of your life. We know we all sin but we can repent and we're forgiven and continue to be forgiven 
and we're commanded as Christians to pray for those that sin. Paul just, uh, John just talks about it just immediately before these verse 18 here. We are weak and sometimes we trifle with temptations. We glorify ourselves and reject God. And so we are to reflect something of what we shall be in the life to come. Not just in our hearts and minds, but in our obedience to Jesus. What we do in our lives, our behaviour. So a true Christian is one who is radically changed. But the second thing is, one who is born of God keeps or protects him. Now some translations, as I said, interpret it as other believers protecting. But I believe it's clearly a reference to Jesus, not us. We keep ourselves uh, we, do not, we don't keep ourselves, Jesus keeps us and that's a theme repeated several times in the New Testament. The two words in the Greek are a little bit different, uh, different tenses, but it's a deliberate way of describing Jesus. Jesus was born into the world, he pre-existed, he was there with the Father, he pre-existed and he was sent into the world from God the Father and so there's a physical birth conceived by the Holy Spirit, born of the Virgin Mary, as the Apostles' Creed says. But then there's also a physical rebirth, his resurrection from the dead, born of God, brought to life again by God. So what this tells us is Jesus had work on the cross, obtained my salvation, and now by his work in heaven, he maintains my salvation. He protects me and keeps me safe so that the devil and the evil influences cannot harm. Is it another assurance? He cannot hold on to me. He cannot harm me. Martin Luther said, the world is a realm of wrongdoing and the devil is lord over it. We live in enemy territory and we war against invisible enemies. Know it or we, we may not recognise it. But we know what, what John's saying, we know Jesus protects us. We can't not take that away because he's, a, he's finished his work on the cross. And just like Simon Peter, remember that account in Luke, uh, Simon Peter, Satan has wanted to sift you like wheat, but I have prayed for you that you'll come back, you'll repent, you'll return. We might fall like Peter did, but we can get up, we repent, we're forgiven, we return to the front line again. And Jesus assures us that no one, not even the devil is able to snatch us from his hand. He is the good shepherd. He is the great warrior. He is the full armour that we put on to fight this war. He was reborn in darkness so that, and died so that we may be reborn in light. Doesn't that, or does it move you? Does it begin to affect you? Do you think of him dying for you on that cross? so that there's a permanent change in you. When you find your heart is melted by the knowledge of what he's done for you. As your heart is moved, as, you, as your mind is contemplating these things, he is becoming your identity and the evil one can't touch you. That's what John's assuring us of. So let me conclude by saying, John doesn't expect us not to have struggles. John, John recognises we'll have to wrestle sometimes. We'll have, to, we'll have struggles. We have to deal with those idols. 
but don't think your struggling is on the basis of the birth, the new birth in God. God's achieved everything needed and it's a free gift. His birth into darkness is the basis for my birth into light. But his last words in the letter were, and this is the way you walk in the newness of life, keep yourself from idols. This was written to Christians, yes, so that you may be born again or remain uh, in him. There's not a complete newness at the moment because there are always some idols left. (laughs) So right now we're going to go to the Lord's table. But before we go to the Lord's table, let me pray. Heavenly Father, we just uh, we thank you for those words in John's uh, letter. Uh, it reminds us so much that we have we can have such confidence, such assurance, such joy and peace, knowing that Jesus, what Jesus achieved for us on the cross through His death and through His resurrection, through His uh, glorification, and that He's coming again. And so we can have such um, confidence and joy. Lord, we praise you and thank you. Help us to work out um, the struggles we have in our struggles. Help us to continue to focus on Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. We trust you have enjoyed our Bible talk from today. If you have any questions or comments from today's talk, please feel free to contact us at info at exchangechurch.org.au. Also, we love to welcome new people at Exchange Church in person, so consider yourself invited to be with us.